We got a shower head. I, I just imagine you eating a tomato while that shower just beats into your back. Talk about the greatest day of your life. <laughs> you know? Richard Ziotti. Paul. You know what's nice sometimes? Talking to another practitioner who's been at it for a while. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I, I talk to people and they're like, the first language I learned was TypeScript. And yeah. the yeah. first tool I ever used for making things online was Sketch or Figma. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. You're dating yourself right now. I know. I know. No, but no. That's but that's okay. It, but, you know, there's something to learn here. There's something to learn from people who've been doing it for a while. Yeah. And I got to say, I'm excited to have this guest on the podcast. You've interacted with this person mostly through... It's weird. We've mumbled each other. Seeds. That's... We got to give more detail than that. Little would our audience expect. This person's actually currently on the air listening to us have this conversation. Yes. Mike Davidson has joined us today. Mike, how are you? Great. How are you? And, and just for the record, I want to say my first programming language was basic on a VIC-20. The predecessor to the Commodore 64. Very yeah. good space yeah. we're in here now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mine was basic on Atari 800. So here we go. We just lost 80% of our audience, yeah. but it's well, cool. Mike, what is your current like role? What do you do? Yeah. So I am the vice president of partnerships and community at Envision, which is a tool that many of you have probably used. We're a design prototyping tool. We are an all-remote company, 850-some people with zero offices. Holy moly. Wow. All right. And before this, you ran a big chunk of design at Twitter, if I'm correct. I did. Yes. I, uh, I ran the entire design and research team at Twitter down in San Francisco from 2012 to 2016. And then before that, I worked at NBC News, which acquired my company Newsvine, which I started in 2005. And then before that, uh, ESPN.com. And then before that, I was in print design. It's been a long road. Okay, and last question before we get to the important question of the tomato seeds. Where are you calling from? I am calling from lovely, cloudy, misty, beautiful Seattle. There are 800 people at Envision. Let's talk about that for a moment. I, I want to also share my... I thought it was just Clark. I, here's the thing. I have a conspiracy theory. They're fully remote because nobody knows where Clark is, and nobody ever will. I mean, it's just us three right now, so I, I can say this. <laughs> there actually is no Clark. This explains why we couldn't get him on the podcast. We, yeah, we connected to the VC, one of the VCs, I guess, that funded Envision. And they're like, yeah, we'll get you, Clark, no problem. But that's and then not, it went dark. <laughs> listen, that's not why we're here. You know what? The hell with it. Clark, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> All right. So here's the thing I know about Mike is at one point he sent Rich some seeds for his garden. And I don't understand why. And this is all Rich has told me about it. So I'd like to know more. I'm going to let Mike take it here. Why did I end up getting seeds from you, Mike? Well, this is, uh, I think the story will be useful to listeners uh, because there's something in it for you. You know, so I am not as into gardening as you are, Rich. I'm into it, but I like, I feel like there's a kind of a cost benefit to it that I'm sometimes okay with. And sometimes I'm not like, there are things that I like to eat, that, but that are just too much of a pain in the ass to grow. And you can get good versions of it at the store. So, for instance, like an apple, right? Unless you've yeah. got like a ton of land. Why would you put up a bunch of apple trees? You can get great Fuji apples at the store. But tomatoes are like the one fruit or, or vegetable that it is impossible to get high quality versions of at supermarkets. 
high-end supermarkets, Whole Foods, low-end supermarkets, they all have these really big, meaty, flavorless tomatoes. And they suck. You're making a great point. And and people are listening are going to say, what are you talking about? My tomatoes are fine. If you've ever tasted a tomato you grew in the back, like that you grew, no, it's, it's, it's a, a whole other experience. A lovingly tended tomato. I remember once when I was like 21, a guy came into the office I was working. He was in his 40s. And yeah. I was like, what do you have in your briefcase? And it was tomatoes. <laughs> and this, let, let me ask you, you think I want to see an image of Mike's avatar every time I bite into a juicy tomato? I don't. But this is what happened. He it's sends a good me. association. So what was special about these? First off, how did you get these seeds? What club are you in? I don't remember how I found out about these. I think I read an article like in Slate magazine or something. And it was like the history of tomatoes. Like how did we get to this terrible place with tomatoes? We have figured out most fruit. But tomatoes we have gone backwards on. And so what happened was several decades ago, they started breeding these things for color and durability. Sure. Supermarkets want to be able to like, you know, have a bunch of it shipped from across the world and have it live on their shelves for as long as it needs before it spoils. And they want customers to walk by and think, oh, what a beautiful, juicy tomato. I want 10 of those. And then consumers get home and they realize what they bought and they're generally not happy with it. And so this guy named Harry Klee is a horticulturalist in Florida, decided one day uh, about 10 years ago, I believe, he decided one day that he had enough and came up with this variety called the Garden Gem. And he ran it through all of these tests with real humans to test, you know, color and taste. And long story short, he bred the perfect tomato. And he started making these seeds available to people because he wanted to continue to improve this tomato. And so I bought some of the seeds. I sent some to Rich and I've sent hundreds of them to other people. And it's really just a great way to improve the tomatoes that you're that are in your life. They are lovely. I, I'm, I'm going to try to describe it. It's sweet but it's like it has a tinge of savory it's like someone sprinkled a little seed it's on it's really ridiculous and my wife saw me crying in the garden alone and she said what's wrong and i said this is so beautiful okay uh okay yes nope. paul so <laughs> you know what i said this could be the next 45 no, minutes no i the understand but no i want to pause because here's the thing yeah so i'm i'm getting this about the tomatoes and i understand this i have only had really one interaction with Mike in my life. I've, I've observed Mike's career for a long, long time. Yeah. One interaction. I was typing something on Twitter, maybe something about showers or shower pressure. Okay. And chatting with folks. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this designer I respect greatly is just like, this is the shower head you need to use. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what I want to, Mike, I want you to explain the shower head. And then I think we need to drill in a little bit on your evangelical enthusiasm for things. Mm, okay. 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 So what, what, what is this thing? Cause I didn't buy it, but I regret it every day. Okay. So by the end of this podcast, we need to turn you into a, a, a consumer of this product, Paul. Uh, okay. I may actually just buy you one on Amazon as we're talking, but so I built a house uh, about 10 years ago and, you know, during the process of building the house, you know, we had to sort of like figure out all the different little details, like what tile do you want? What floor do you want? What windows do you want? Like all that stuff. But then like there are all these things that builders pay no attention to at all. And a lot of those happen to be inside of bathrooms. I'll give you an example, a non-shower head example, uh, but it is in the shower. So, you know, almost every shower that you get into has the controls right underneath the shower head. 
that is like the one place that you do not want the controls. It's like literally the worst place that you could put controls because when you get in, you've got to like turn the, the, the handle and then get doused with cold water immediately uh, before the water gets hot. So it's a huge pain in the ass. So anyway, we, you know, we had our controls placed over, you know, on the other side of the shower, which was nice. But then we thought about like, well, hey, these typical, like beautiful shower heads that these builders you know, generally like to install – Who's to say that that's the best shower head? Like I have used plenty of these giant opulent rain showers inside of hotels that are just horrible, right? Like terrible water flow, terrible body coverage. And so what happens with, with these really high, you know, quote, high-end shower heads is they have so many holes on them, but each mode only uses like 10% of the holes. And so it ends up being a really terrible experience. So I found this shower head made by Kohler. It's called the flip side. And I tested it. You know, I tested a, b- a bunch of these shower heads, like as the house was getting built. And I tested this flip side shower head, which is it's a really unconventional design. It has four modes and each mode uses ev- every single hole on the side. You, you flip it four ways and each mode uses every single hole. And as a result, you get four totally different shower experiences, but they're all very, very high pressure and they all feel amazing. And so over the last like several years, I've just been telling everybody that I know about the shower head and only a few, I've probably sold 500 of them or more. And I've only had like a couple people tell me eh, that I, they didn't really like it. Everybody else seems to be pretty, pretty happy with it. I, I just, I, I mean, I just looked it up. It's not expensive. It's 47 bucks. How expensive are these seeds, Mike? Uh, the seeds are like free, basically. So what the way you get the seeds is you got to find this guy. He has a, a page on uh, one of the larger social networks. Uh, just search for Harry Klee tomato seeds, and you just make a donation to the University of Florida Horticultural Center. I think I donated like twenty bucks or something like that. And then he sends you seeds. A hundred seeds, yeah. But I, I have a bunch of seeds too. So if people want them, just send me an, an email. I'll, I'll just mail you seeds too. I, I swear to God. First of all, I would listen to one hundred and forty hours of this content. This is no, just, no. This is like a human wire cutter. This, it's who's my, kind of interesting. It's the mic cutter. It's, it's the mic cutter. Just very exciting. Are there other things on your list where you're like, if I can just, I need people need to know. Um, there's one thing that isn't so much like a product, but one of my friends, Dan Cedarholm, who you guys may know as well, the guy who started uh, Dribble and Simplebit, among other things. I saw him at a, a web conference 15 years ago or so in Portland, and we were just shooting the shit, having a beer. And I can't remember how this topic came up, but he was like, you know, I eliminated shoelaces from my life a year ago, and it was the best decision I ever made. And I was like, that's a great idea. And I tried it myself. And so I stopped buying shoes with shoelaces on them. I just like basically started finding all the cool slip-ons out there, cool sneakers, vans, you know, those, those sorts of things. And over the last like 15 years, I have amassed a collection of laceless shoes that makes me think I could really never go back to shoes with laces on them. They're great at airports. You can slip them on, you can slip them off. You don't have to worry about, you know, double knots and you know all, all that stuff. And and it's just been one of those things that I feel like it's a small thing, but I feel like it's done a lot to like help me simplify my life in a really small but cool way. See, I, I, we're hitting on hitting on a theme here, right? I mean, we are constant. First off, all of these things that you've just described, none of them require you to be wealthy. And I have bought iPhone cases to fill a void, an empty void in my life. I have a friend who used to say a friend who used to say an amazing thing, which was, "I don't like to buy stuff from my stuff." Yeah, it's a great quote. I think yeah. about that every time I have to buy a new case for my whatever, I'm like, ah, I'm buying stuff for my stuff. Yeah. Like it's, I'm, I'm way too deep. Well, it's that, that, you know, that sound 
the tape that Amazon uses on their boxes has like mm. string in it. Yeah, the and sound we, of waste. No, it's the sound of, I don't, as I like to say, success, but opening the box has this tear sound to mm-hmm. it. And there's like this little squirt of endorphin gets shot into your brain because you're getting a new thing. Yeah, but the and, earth screams when you open that box. Not, well, my wife also screams, but that's <laughs> right, separate. But, what did you order? What did you order? And yeah. But the thing is, it goes away. The, those things don't have lasting value. And the truth is, between everything we're consuming, whether it be information. I cannot tell you the last time I really was really excited about a piece of information I consumed, where Mm. I was paused and said, whoa, put this one on the side. It's so good. It's because whether it's Amazon boxes or just my phone constantly screaming at my thigh because there's more stuff coming out. You know how many things I, you know, Twitter's bookmark feature? Yes. You know how many things I've probably bookmarked on Twitter? How many tweets? It's hundreds. They're just sitting in a box. Do you know how many times I've looked at my Twitter bookmarks? Of course. About twice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, they're good. They're golden. Yeah. I just, I can't get back there. I think it's really kind of, I'm feeling the same thing. And it's kind of sad, really, because we have all this great content out there now. We have all this great writing. Like people, there are great articles, great books continue to be read. But because we have so much other information competing for our attention, it feels like a burden to read even like a, 10 minute article, you know, like you save up all your articles in, in instant yeah. paper and you, know, you, you wake up on Saturday morning and you're like, Oh, 42 minute read 10 years ago. You're like, wow, there's an amazing 42 minute long article in the New Yorker that I could read. Like that's fantastic. And I worry that the deluge of information over the last few years has made us, you know, a less likely to want to read things of, of more substance and B, like, like you said, Rich, it's gotten us to the point where it's not even as enjoyable. No. Well, which is really, really this is what's tricky. It's, it's, it's like fitness. Like if you don't, I have gone back and said, I'm going to read books again. Like I'm pretty serious about reading. It takes me a minute to get used to reading long things. It's, it's not, it's so bad. And then you're locked in and then I'm like, great. I really remember why I love reading literature, but then things get busy. And now four months goes by and I haven't read a book. I think I'm in, in an even worse state than you. I was reading a book recently. It's called Educated. It's very popular. It was a big top seller for mm-hmm. like the last year or whatever. It's really good, really engaging. And for no reason whatsoever, I'm on the train and I'm in the middle of a paragraph and I slide up from the bottom of my phone and I just start going and looking at other shit. Of course. For no reason. I have no reason to move away from the damn thing. It's just because all the other stuff is right there, right? Why can't... And, and it's so, not just that. You need to actually finish that book and not start other books. Like that's also hard. That's also... I did finish the book. It just... I was like, what are you doing? Where are you going right now? What are you going to look at? It's just like being in a Dwayne Reed and loitering in there and just fidgeting with products. I'm like, what are you looking for? We're men with gray hairs. I can't imagine being like 17 in this world and being told you should read and interact with these sort of like serious things. Mm-hmm. Whereas the entire world is atomized into one second intervals. When you guys were kids, I mean, did your parents tell you that TV would decrease your attention span? Like that was the thing that my parents used to always say. Like I used to love watching TV. I used to sneak it in whenever I could. And they would always tell me, if you watch too much TV, it's going to do terrible things to your attention span. And as a kid, I'm like, I don't care. And now I'm like, oh my God, if I sit down and watch like an hour long show on Netflix, that is like, the longest I have concentrated on something yeah, in yeah, yeah. a few weeks in some cases. you know, it's kind of, I just feel like it's this continuation of the shortening of our attention spans. And yeah. it's really, really hard to, to counteract. 
You know, my father used to say, he's like, I don't like computer games. You should be making up your own stories. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a rough one. I was like, but dad, Zork, it's cool. No, well, I'm glad you're having a good time. So I want to pitch an app. All right. Um, you can't do this on iOS. iOS has screen time. By the way, I forgot my screen time passcode. I tried to screen time myself. <laughs> you can't use your own. I can't even use my own screen time. There's, a, I have to get like an app that oh, hacks your phone great. to get to reset the screen time code. Anyway, there's an app called Cold Turkey for Mac. I think it's also for Windows, if I'm not mistaken. It's it's like 10 bucks or 20 bucks or something. It's a great name. And what it does is you can essentially give it a whitelist or blacklist of URLs. It'll essentially say, look, you can only go to this URL. The others aren't going to work. And then you give it a timetable. And unless you reboot your whole Mac, you're stuck with either only certain URLs you can use and it'll work for apps. So you can't even open apps. You can't, I can't open Slack. Like I need to get something done. I'm in working on a presentation for a pitch and I'm going to Slack and I'm going to Slack for nothing. I'm not looking for anything. I have nothing to go find, but I'm going to Slack because everybody's chatting and it's cool to walk up to people when they're chatting. And at some point I, I just said, you know, I'm going to use this thing. And I've worked out my brain to avoid using it. I haven't been able to dive in and use it. I think I might have to get my mother, who doesn't know how to use a phone, really, generally speaking, to put screen time on my phone. I'd control my behaviors. It's not a bad idea. I've, done, I've started to do this. I've started to not take my phone to meetings. I want to start taking nothing to meetings. Like I, I need to take notes, but when your laptop's in your hand, the whole world's in your hand. So it, that busts breaks for me. It's funny that the feature that could help you with this that's built into the Mac is actually called parental controls. And as an adult, you were saying you would like your parents to turn these controls on for you. Sure. Well, I mean, parental controls doesn't work for, for a 50-year-old man. Uh, maybe it can for certain 50-year-old men who are still in the basement and wear weird Star Wars gear. That's Then it works. I would love a greater level of control. I mean, the offerings are amazing out there now. I, I yell at the walls and my lights go off in Mike, my house. Do, Mike, do you find this like, okay, so Rich and I, I think you're of roughly our cohort of not the youngest people on the internet. And yet we're all extremely online in all caps. Like increasingly, I just find that to be this bananas paradox where everyone feels about 11 years old and yet I'm using their language and connected to them and part of this community. And it just gets more and more surreal. It does. And I think that there are some ways that I have tried to kind of counteract that. So for instance, I, like I've never been a watch guy. I don't think I've worn a watch since I was like 12 years old, but I did recently buy an Apple watch and you know, it's nice for to track running and as exercise and things like that. But what, what I like more about it is I feel like I can leave my phone in the charger almost all day. I can go to the store without my phone. I can go to a football game without my phone. I, I like it because it's basically like it provides the minimum level of connectedness that I need. Like if I need to make an emergency phone call, it's got LTE, I can do that. If I need to text somebody like my wife, I can do that, but it's kind of a pain in the ass. Like, you know, so it, it keeps you to like, you know, one, two word texts. So like, I like the idea of moving to a world in which if we have any devices at all on us, they are very small devices that are not optimized for spending a ton of time on. And I feel like only now are some people starting to kind of take that mentality about technology. You know, as you guys were talking about cold turkey, it reminded me, do you remember in the early days of the Mac, this was like in the 80s, the operating system, it was called Finder, right? Then a few years later, something called MultiFinder came out. 
And MultiFinder was just basically a finder that allowed you to multitask. And then everything is kind of just snowballed from there, right? Like now you can have 50 apps open and just, you know, control tab between all of them. And, you know, that's been looked at as a good thing. But like when I think about it, I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to go back to Finder. It was good. I know. I kind of wouldn't mind if my Mac, if there was a mode I could put my Mac into where it's like you literally get one program tab open. That's it. If you want to switch programs, you need to quit your current program, launch another program and use that. And there are some apps that sort of like mimic this a little bit. Like, I don't know how you guys do your writing, but there's an app called Ohm Writer. Oh, yeah. No, there's always there's the infinite fantasy of the full screen interruption free text editor. Can I tell you, though, I this is a, a little bit of shtick, but there is exactly one technology that works to help you get the writing done. And it's called a deadline. It's somebody going, literally tapping their Apple Watch. 100%. That works for a lot of different things, the deadline. I'm a writer. Not just writing. I'm a writer. I'm a procrastinator. These are two very well-known things about me. And there is absolutely nothing. I have tried because one of the ways I procrastinate is to optimize my writing environment. Mm. And it doesn't freaking matter. If somebody genuinely feels bad and I'm making their day bad by not getting my thing done, I will write it on bark in my own blood. Well, this is there's another component to this, right? It's that there's a human being, right? It's why I, I don't need my trainer anymore. I've been going to my trainer for eight months. He's been pretty much using the same routines you, with your, me. Your pecs look great. Thank you're you just, so much. Just, he's not listening to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I will keep going. Is my point is, mm-hmm. and that that's because I'm accountable to a human, right? I'm account self-imposed deadline. Like when you set that alarm on your own phone or what? It just it's bullshit. Oh, you we slip so fast as humans. I I mean I'm I'm observing Lent mm. right now, so I'm not eating sweets. So, because I don't want to go to hell. So, like, the accountability here is God, which is pretty intense. Cool. This really sounds logical. (laughs) I want to actually tie this together. I want to tie custom tomato seeds, Mm. a beautiful shower head, and I guess we're talking about unplugging in a way or focusing or our attention span and whatnot. I think it's... I. Well, we got a guy here who works all day in his house right. managing people staying focused to get and it has to get a lot of work done but also where we can go and that find guy is jo- mike davidson by the way and I'm, no i agreed no- i guess i guess i think there is a theme here which is the things that give us actual real joy in a prolonged way are not the things that we keep going back to like i keep going back to the damn feeds wherever those feeds no, may that's be that's right that's that little bit of dopamine it's also that you know, there's so much to be said for the planning and the suspense of it. What I have found with my spare time, I like buying books online. Sometimes they're a little older. Sometimes they're from the 80s. Sometimes they're whatever. But researching them, thinking them through, planning when I'm going to read them, like having a relationship with the object all the way through, thinking about where it came from and then reading it yep. and then putting it on the shelf and knowing yep. it. And then I wake up in the morning and I, I see those books. They're on the shelf by my bed, and I feel like I feel connected to something that's internal and external and so on, as opposed to the kind of relentless flow. Going deep is incredibly fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we're listening listening to Mike talk about a researcher who like hacked tomato seeds, and it's like, wow, that's kind of weird. That's kind of, but going deep is fun, and it it's satisfying, and there's gratification around it, and sharing that knowledge, I think, is is really cool. 
Are we sounding old? I guess we're sounding old. Maybe we shouldn't park in front of the high school and hang out there with 50-year-olds in the schoolyard. Well, I need to stop buying vodka for 14-year-olds. That's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, how long have you been working from home? Uh, About a year and a half now. I started, uh, yeah, July, I believe July of 2018. Okay, so... This is, a, I mean, I think a big question because it's a question we ask ourselves here at Pulsite. Pulsite's growing and where we recruit and... Well, it's just easier to grow if you're not geographically limited. Yeah. yeah. But also, we've, we've also balked at the question of leadership being remote, even though we already have some success on the engineering side. Our head of engineering is not at headquarters. He's in Tennessee. Talk to us a little bit. I think I figured out why you're a happy, well-adjusted person. I'm going to make that assumption about you, Mike. But talk to us a bit about leading remotely. And this is not about commits in GitHub, right? Where you can quantify progress and and productivity. Talk to us a bit about that and how it's gone for you and what's worked and, and what's a challenge. Yeah, I mean, I think the best way to look at remote work is it's a series of trade-offs. It's just basically the same way I look at design, right? Like all, all design is a series of trade-offs. When you change the design of a product, you're on often cases sacrificing configurability for ease of use, for instance. Every 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 decision is a trade-off. And so I, I look at remote work as being a series of trade-offs as well. It's not unconditionally positive. It's not unconditionally negative. It's not the same for every person even. Could I see myself as a remote worker you know, in a small house shared with five roommates who are all there every day? Probably not. Could I see myself being a remote worker in a place in the country where I was where I was comfortable, where I had my own space? That's basically my situation now. Yes, I could. So when you look at remote work and you look at how people react to it, like, you know, there is no sort of one set of rules that apply to everybody. I would say in terms of how it feels, you know, I think what I tell people is the lows are less low because, you know, if you have a bad meeting or you're having a bad day or whatever, you slam your laptop shut and you go out onto your deck and have a beer. Um, whereas, you know, if you're physically, if you're physically in the office with, with, with a bunch of people and you're having a bad day, you know, it, it, things can compound a lot more quickly than that. Yeah. I call it the walkout. I've seen it a really rough meeting for whatever reason with a client or whatever. And the person just takes their jacket and takes a walk. Yeah. Uh, is usually what happens. No, but it's true. When you're in an office, you can't walk away from the disappointment of others. No, you no. leave the building. I think yeah. you go for a walk. Uh, well, and, and, and that doesn't always happen, right? Like sometimes you don't leave the building and you stew and, and you know, things get, things get worse. So anyway, the lows are less low. But I would also say in many cases, the highs are less high. There's really something to be said for being physically in the trenches with people. Maybe you've been working on a big launch for six months and it's, it's a bunch of you in the same room together and like you're ready to hit the switch together and, and watch what the reaction is on Twitter and what what happens with your stats and all that like doing that all while you're in physically in the same space together you know does provide a high that I think doesn't exist to the same degree that it does in remote companies I think the other thing too that is more a lot more subtle is you know when you're in the same place with a bunch of people and somebody comes in in the morning and they've got a bit of a long face you can see right away that something might be wrong and you might go over to them and say, Hey, is everything, is everything okay? Is everything yeah. anything I can do to yeah. help? Um, yeah. and you don't get that. Well, and you also might, you might say like, you know, I'm going to leave them alone. I had that thing to bring up, but I'm going to just, let's give till tomorrow. I know there's some stuff going on. Yeah. And that pacing is really hard and it does get a little more pro forma. Like, Oh, I have to communicate with person X about why 
Uh, I better go on Slack and do that as opposed to reading the room because you're not in the room. You know, the thing we've learned too, it, there's, a, I think there's an assumption that, you know, you're going to get everybody in the room with a big offsite and, and we're all going to hang out. Those are very tiring and they, they are halfway between holiday and labor. They can be exhausting. They're not the same as that sort of slow burn direct interaction over time. And so to me, I always thought that would be the fix. Like, well, we'll just we'll just all hang out for a week and that'll build the and it's it's key, builds the community, but it's not it's still not quite the same. It's a different world. As a leader, Mike, how do you motivate remotely? How do you get people excited about things? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it really all comes down to everybody feeling like they've got a common goal to go after. I, I you know, I, I have a much smaller team at Envision that I had at Twitter. At Twitter, my team was, you know, 100 people. At Envision, it's it's just a few. You know, I'm not running the design team. You know, so it's a di- different management job altogether, managing a, a team that small. But, you know, the advantage that we have at Envision is we all know where we're going. We all know what the purpose of Envision is and where we want to take things. The only di- The only disagreements are like, how do we get there? Which is... I think typical of most successful businesses out there. I think Twitter was probably the atypical example where, you know, you, you talk to any, any employee who works there and they all kind of want to do a slightly different thing out of the service, right? Some people use it for, for, you know, to get their news. Some people use it to catch up on celebrity gossip. Some people use it to catch up on sports scores. Some people use it for direct message, private conversations. Like it's such a versatile service that, you know, I think that that's served it well over the last 12 years that it's been a product because it's allowed so many different disparate use cases to emerge. But it's also been very, very difficult to get people on the same page about not just about what to do, but what not to do. Like, where should we not take this product? What resources should we not spend building things that that should not be part of this product? And so I think getting back to your question, I think whether you're remote or not, you know, having a common goal, having a a North Star that that everybody kind of believes in is really, really important. In terms of management hygiene, yeah, I still have video one-on-ones every two weeks with every member of my team. You know, we do interesting things sometimes, like I ran the Envision Studio design team for a few months temporarily, and we we started doing these, uh, these science fair, as we used to call them. So, you know, rather than have these kind of long meetings where people are going through PowerPoint decks, we would just have people sign up for the science fair and show off an actual thing that they built. So, you know, a bunch of people just kind of log into Zoom and, you know, you've got a 100, 200 person meeting and it's you know, a bunch of engineers, a bunch of designers, product people. And people are just going through their stuff like, hey, here, I just built a new uh, a new sign in screen. Here's here's how it works. You know, and it's five, 10 minutes a person, very casual, but it, it helps really remind people of what's going on around the company because when you are remote you don't always see it cool it's hard i'm still wrapping my head around how distributed a place can be i think you have you know one of the things you pointed about is this shared goal and this shared mission it's harder for us we have many clients and we are you know we do have a culture and we really do have a commitment to craft at postlight we're an agency in a product studio here in new york city but you know that Envision, like you could do the, the one sentence exercise, right, of what the mission is for Envision, which is, by the way, to bill us a lot of money on a monthly basis. We but do. That one pops right <laughs> up on that Amex notification. <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, Mike, this has been amazing. I want one more life hack out of you before we uh, say goodbye. One more life hack out of me. Okay. Here's, a, here's another culinary <laughs> one. Um, I think we're going through a golden age of pizza right now. You know, in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, most people in the United States were subjected to this very mass market pizza. And then, you know, the first time you go to Italy, you have pizza over there and you're like, 
what is this? This is something totally different than what I'm used to. Like it tastes fresh, the mm. crust is thin, it's, it's beautiful. What is this? And then you, you know, obviously you, 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 do, you do the research and you realize, oh, they've been making pizza like that in Italy for a long time. <laughs> yeah. What's happened though, I think over the last like, you know, 10 to 20 years is that America has wised up to that style of pizza. And so you, in almost every major city in the, in the U.S. now, you can find a place that cooks you know, either Neapolitan style pizza or like semi Neapolitan style pizza, thin crust, high temperature, creating great ingredients. So that's great. But what most people don't know is that it's actually very easy to learn how to make that stuff yourself at home. You don't need a pizza oven. You do not need a giant wood fired pizza oven in your your backyard. You can you can get one. True. It's the dough. The dough takes a little bit of work to, to master it and, and get it to a good place. But it's true. It's not that hard. Okay, so so with dough, here's my here's my you're right. It takes about I would say maybe like four or five tries to learn how to make dough. So let's give yourself like a month basically and you'll know you'll know how to make good dough. The easiest, best recipe for for beginners, I think, is just just look up Roberta's pizza recipe in the New York Times. And it's super easy to make. You can make it the same day. You don't need to ferment it for like mm-hmm. a week or grow your own stupid sourdough starter and then keep it in a fridge for a year. You don't yeah. need to do any of that stuff. So that, that stuff, you know, is not hard to learn. And then really you can make pizza that is as good or better than, than you can get at these Neapolitan places for, you know, you can do it on a gas grill, which is what I do. So I've got a gas grill outside yeah. that I just put a pizza stone on top of the gas grill in the winter time when it's cold, I just do it inside of my oven. Once you start making pizza yourself, you'll have a hard time going to pizza restaurants ever again because it's easy to make and it's great and pizza's the best food in the world. I, I, a good life hack. I want this life. No, I, I want the life, not the hack. We have to, we have to go. He's got, he's got loafers on. He's in the shower. He's eating tomatoes. I mean, look, this is... Enjoy life is what I want to call this podcast, this particular episode. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe we shouldn't live in a giant megacity where capitalism's on full blast in your <laughs> face at every freaking minute. Um, here, wait, I have a great suggestion for everybody. Yes. Something I'm pretty sure, if you don't know about this, Mike, you will love this. There is a video blogger in China. Her name is Li Zixi, Z-I-Q-I, L-I-Z-I-Q-I. And go watch her videos because she does things like make bamboo furniture utterly from scratch. She goes out to the forest, gets the bamboo, makes the furniture. Then she's like, you know what I'm going to make? Uh, I want to do some calligraphy. So I'm going to make the brushes, I'm gonna, which means I have oh, to so go. She, di- she deep dives. She has That's to, what this is about, she right? She has to go. It's like classic Chinese craft. She has to go get the hair from the rabbit to make the brush. Then she has to make the paper. And then she has to make the ink. There's some charcoal involved. And it's, it's months. Th- these things take months. And it's just the most soothing and informative videos you will ever watch. Very cool. So you're, you're cool. saying we should watch these purely for the watching part. You're saying we don't, you don't need to then do what she does. You're saying just watching her do it is soothing. Well, it gives you a lot of context. She's unbelievably popular in China. She represents, you know, a really specific sort of agricultural historical ideal. And it's fascinating to see in comparison to kind of what our rustic heritage is and how we think of things in America as being like sort of pure and simple. And the, that difference, like the way the furniture looks, the way the experience is, the way the food is prepared. It's it's very, very different, but it's the same emotional connection to something that that feels 
pure and real and and sort of beautiful. So she makes her own clothes. And then her grandmother's there and she makes clothes for her grandmother. It's it's spectacular as content. Oh so my I gosh, would, all her videos have tens of millions of views. Yeah, and that's just on YouTube. Like when you get to the Chinese platform, she's even more popular. Yeah, yeah. This is a global superstar quietly making videos slowly about her life on the farm. She moved away from the city. She went to the city when she was like 16 and then she said, Eh, I'm going to go back to my grandmother's. I'm tired of all this. Very cool. I'm like clicking through. Very cool stuff. All right. Very cool. I feel like a failure right now. Um, no, no, we did good. We did good. I don't know. I feel like I should go do something. I'm going to make soap this weekend or something. You should make some soap. The Lebanese are famous soap makers. Final tip. Uh, if you live in Brooklyn, there was an incredible Neapolitan restaurant, pizza restaurant called Franny's that is not open anymore. Mm. But the people who started Franny's opened a place called Brooklyn Larder that's like this specialty goods shop. They still sell the Franny's dough frozen. If you don't want to go through the whole hassle, it's on Flatbush. Go get some dough. Make some delicious Neapolitan pizza. Shower afterwards with some strong pressure. Call it a day. Mike, so is there anyone that you would like to get in touch, anything you're looking for, and how can people reach or follow or be in contact with you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Industries. Yeah, if anybody wants any of those seeds, I've got a, a, a bunch of them saved up from last year. So I'm happy to just drop some in the mail for you. Uh, otherwise, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just a designer. Mike, this has been an absolute, absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. I feel better about my life just talking about this stuff. I don't know if I need to do any of it. <laughs> you need to do some of it. Uh, okay, fine. <laughs> you just can't get away from craft. You can't get away from quality and a focus on quality. I think it makes you happy. It is. Think it, it is the thing that makes you happy. You think about how things were put together and why, and you realize that you live in that larger context. It's not just all about you. That's right. That's the problem with social media, right? Is it just keeps getting focused on the individual. It's your experience, your experience. And then mm-hmm. you listen to Mike talk about the tomato plants. That's bigger than him. Yeah. And yeah, it, learning about that made him feel like empowered and connected to the world. Yeah, and it's something he enjoys sharing. That to me, like I know when people bandy the words design thinking, I usually get hives, which is why I need a high pressure shower head to kind of get that. But that to me is like the actual design thinking. Yeah. Reminds me, remember when Craig Mod was on? Mm-hmm. And it's very similar. Like, the, you know, he was telling us about a, a really stretchy clothesline yeah. that just mattered to him. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. okay, I get it. So look, if somebody wants to talk to us, all you got to do is send an email to hello at postlight.com. Speaking of craft. Yeah, that's we like to build things for people that are good. Yes, design, engineering, across the board. You can follow us on at Postlight. We do lots of great events. There's just a lot of wonderful ways to connect to Postlight. And the most important one is to either send that email or come to postlight.com. Yes. Website on the World Wide Web. Have a wonderful week. All right, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>